Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Today we are taking a journey through Gypsy Britain with Damien Labasse. Damien grew up surrounded by gypsy history. His great-grandmother would tell him stories of her childhood in the ancient Romany language. The places her family stopped and worked, the way they lived, the superstitions and the law of their people. But his own experience of the road and his own history was limited. So, in a bid to understand his gypsy heritage and the history of Britain's Romanies, Damien set out on a journey to discover the stopping places, the old encampment sites known only to travellers. From horse fairs to gypsy churches, neon-lit laybys to fern-covered banks, Damien wrote a book all about his experience of travelling around Gypsy Britain. I was so excited that I got to speak to Damien and chat to him a little bit about the gypsy history he'd learnt on the road and the more intricate politics of how we speak and talk and understand the British history of gypsies. It's such a key experience that we ignore a lot of the time in mainstream media. So I really encourage you to listen the whole way through to this episode. It's it's a really incredible take on how we tell stories, who gets to tell them, uh, and what really lies behind the history of Gypsy Britain. Um, so without further ado, here is my chat to Damien. Um, so Damien, thank you so much for coming in to chat to us. Pleasure. Um, we're so excited about the book. Um, I had a, I just wanted to go to kind of towards the end of the book unconventionally, just to like start us off, because I was really fascinated by this comment you made near the end that was like, it was about um, you were addressing this guy who was um, in a van and you like, you, you both kind of looked at each other and he acknowledged you and you oh, weren't yeah. sure, you thought that he was looking at you like he wasn't sure whether you were like, a hippie or one of them and you weren't sure either is your comment so like can you explain that a little bit how you felt kind of part of the community and also like nervous about being accepted well yeah no no let's start there so this guy looked at me uh and I looked at him and it's kind of my mate Charles calls it the gypsy nod you know when two (laughs) two travelers identify each other um and it's just an an acknowledgement really that we're still about and uh, something that I, I can't speak for other people but it makes me feel good if somebody spots me as a gypsy perhaps especially because I'm told so frequently that I don't look like one but the sorts of things that we look for in each other are not the same things that that non-gypsies would necessarily see as, as, as gypsy mm. things so he he probably saw the van and my little horseshoe talisman and thought oh he's probably a traveller mm. but then gave me this look like but why are there brightly coloured fabrics fluttering in your van and that's a bit strange and I don't know it, I'm, I'm inferring a lot from a glance there mm. but it was an interesting moment because I thought you know who, I, who am I at this stage what's my primary identity at the minute because I'm on this journey specifically investigating Romany history but mm. I've embraced a hippie aesthetic really in order to, to feel happy in order to survive on the road, and I mean survive in terms of have a mental equilibrium, I suppose. Because when I started, my van was incredibly sparse, almost Spartan interior with just a bed, some shirts, a gas stove. And I thought, well, if I've got the essentials of life, then then I'll have everything I need. But little did I know that the, the rich kind of technicolor, gilded aesthetic of Romany culture had evolved for a reason. And that was because particularly in, in, in cold times or when money is short, that stuff cheers you up. 
and yeah. you, you need it in order to feel happy. So, um, hence the confusion as to whether I was more of a, a hippie or a gypsy. I was a hipsy, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, let's remember. Because I suppose it can start to feel performative, but then it is your identity. You, you are allowed to be like that. And it's not, you know, it's, I suppose it's kind of like somewhere in between. Yeah, Tell I mean, that in itself is, a, is an interesting philosophical question. Where does pretending turn to reality and uh, there was a stage at which I found myself doing things unconsciously you know tidying unconsciously preparing meals mm. pulling over making tea sort of the routine was was embedded within myself and then I thought I'm not actually pretending to do this anymore I just know how to live like this now mm. and that was an interesting moment for me as someone who was very conscious that I was pretending in a way you know I hadn't, yeah. hadn't been born living on the road so mm. uh, and I didn't want to in any way seem like I was appropriating, mocking or appropriating that. I mean, to some people it might be confusing that I would accuse myself of appropriating it because it's the, it's the culture I come from, but there's a, a distinction we draw between people who were born on the road and people like myself who weren't. Mm. So so talk me through your decision to go on the road, because you were on the road for a whole year, weren't you? Mm. And, and that's, that's kind of a, an active choice to, like, w- did it feel like you were returning or was it more like a kind of exploration well I didn't go in cold turkey so to speak um, I was living in a in a trailer at the time quite an old one a 1970s buccaneer mm. with my wife and but why did I make this decision it's a question I still ask myself I felt that there was something distancing about most of the writing about gypsies about my people if you like it seemed to be almost cold and I don't mean that in a in a negative way but but it was more anthropological and less close to the life itself and for me the obvious answer was was to go and sleep in these places it wasn't a particularly complicated idea but I thought well you know I'll I'll at least know them slightly better if I've been there and also I'd then be able to go and talk to my nan about it afterwards I suppose it enabled me to link the past and the present because I'm in this place now and then bringing in the past seems less like I'm talking about distant history but you're in an actual place that you can visit and that's where this thing happened and then there was this other underlying desire which was to test the idea if you could still get away with living on the road these days which obviously you can because many gypsies and travellers still live on the road but generally that means being subject to constant harassment really Mm. being moved on some people wouldn't agree that it's harassment they'd say that you bring it on yourself by living in a way that contravenes societal norms but but you know i'd I'd say it's still technically harassment being woken up in the middle of the night and moved um what did your family think about you taking the trip were they supportive i had a i had (laughs) a spectrum of reactions Mm. ranging from it's a bit weird, but, you know, he's always been a bit weird kind of thing, which I have. <laughs> like or, classic Damien. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, who does he think he is? He's trying to be like a proper traveller. Because I've got mixed heritage as well. Yeah. Which is... He said that you, you feel like you look Scandi and that, like, throws people off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm. often people straightforwardly refuse to believe that I'm of Romany heritage, which I find quite shocking because mm. it's it's quite a thing when somebody tells you what their roots are to openly doubt that. Yeah. to their face but I've had that all my life it takes a bit of arrogance um, to really question that from like, yeah. yeah but for some reason there's a belief that people can, can spot a gypsy even if they've never known one personally and mm. I, I find that 
partly hilarious and partly deeply offensive. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I, I had a range of of responses. But uh, to be honest, I had more. I had more vocal responses to the fact that I was writing a book rather than that I was travelling around to write a book. It's uh, it's writing yeah. that many Romani traveller people have a problem with. Yeah, because I suppose like the history of um, like Romani Britain is so transient and so like it's so um, embedded in like talking to each other and the kind of oral traditions. It's almost like necessary and contradictory to write it down I guess it's, it's a bit of both because I suppose the thing about writing is to an extent I can understand why some Romani people are suspicious of, of books much of what has been written about us for many centuries has been inaccurate or pernicious or lethal you know orders to genocide for yeah. instance so the word the Romani word for a book is the same as the word for a letter or any document, in fact, really? a lil, lil. And um, it can carry a sinister tone because the word we have for a book is the same as the word we would have for a, an eviction notice that comes from the council. You know, So in some ways, the, the language itself has that suspicion embedded within it, and, and I can understand that. But then the other half of me, as a writer, deeply resents the idea that writers are not free to write and especially the idea that people can judge your intentions before you've even started writing the book which I was subjected to a little bit of that yeah. so you know I sympathise and at the same time I have to believe that as writers uh, we are allowed to, to push through all that and speak our truth um, obviously in the media there's lots of really caricatured portrayals of gypsies and some, some people would say it's it's kind of like one of the last vestiges of um, like explicit racism sometimes it can be really it, it can be really like polarizing how did how do you feel about those things and was this book a reaction to that to, to almost co- like purposefully make it complex like purposely complicate the story because there's like my big fat gypsy wedding, <laughs> which I can imagine in the traveller community isn't popular. I find binarism problematic at mm. every level in our discourse, and I feel that various aspects of contemporary life, including arguably social media, feed into that <laughs> polarising tendency that we're experiencing at the moment. And definitely, there was a drive in me to complicate this issue, which isn't easy or indeed desired by many people because simplicity is is nice you know people always ask me what so what do we call you there are all these words gypsy romani traveler roma you know mm. what what do we call you and my answer is well are you do you mean you singular as in me as a person or do you mean you as in the 9 to 12 million people who constitute a global community of Roma and other ethnic travellers, which is, you know, mm. if you want that to be simple, you're bound to be disappointed because that's like saying, how should I address the Irish? You know, <laughs> yeah, there, like, there are millions ambassador. of it. It's, it's, it's <laughs> not reasonable to expect that. Um, you know, an attempt to summarise Europeans is bound to, to fail mm. or Africans or the religious. or So I would try to sympathise with that approach that people had uh, but I'd also find it slightly exasperating and in the end I thought well if I can begin by answering the questions as simply as I can and then introducing nuance perhaps the book might work in that way and I had wonderful encouragement along those lines from from Chatham Windus and from my agent and 
yeah, perhaps it's worked a little bit. But again, I've forgotten what the question is. <laughs> um, uh, just like how you feel about the media's portrayal. Of, oh, the media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> you're like, oh, where do I know start? the media is a you know I'm mm. producing. This is part of the media. Yeah. This book, but but when I say it, I tend to mean that you know the, the broadcasters and and the newspapers. That's what I tend mm. to use media as a shorthand for. And working as a journalist, I've, I found and still do that the discourse is fantastically difficult to change even to the minutest degree when it comes to the subject of gypsies and travellers. So yesterday morning on Radio 4 there was a very interesting programme about whether it's permissible to stereotype gypsies. But I found the choice of of gypsies for that programme interesting and mm. educative because I, I feel that... I mean, why, why, so why did they feel comfortable choosing my people mm. for that? Um, I cannot imagine the BBC putting out a programme at nine o'clock on Radio 4 asking if it's permissible to stereotype the Jews. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that happening. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't or that it's impossible. I, I just think that there's a different attitude when it comes to this. And, but I, I approached it with an open mind and thought, well, what stereotypes are they going to talk about? You know, musical genius, mm. multilingualism, adaptability, propensity to, su- to survive genocide. But no, there was only one stereotype they were interested in, and that was criminality. Mm. So again, even when people attempt to be sympathetic, it's often underpinned by, by unconscious prejudice. Uh, but at the same time, when I was writing this, I thought, I was very conscious of appearing to whitewash a complex issue mm. and that's why I've tried not to steer clear of some of the tough aspects of this world and people might ask me if I had a specific motivation for including an unpleasant encounter with a gypsy in the book and my answer to that is there are the book is full of pleasant encounters mm. And if you focus on that one, which is isolated, it actually says more about you than it does about me. Mm. And and to have ignored that, which was a a crucial moment emotionally and ultimately intellectually on my journey, would have been dishonest. And so mm. it has to be in there. Yeah. What do you think? Um, remind me of the word for non non travellers. How do I say it? Depends on the Romany dialect. <laughs> we would, yeah. where I grew up, we say gorgies. Gorgie. Um, most. Romani people in other countries say gadje, non-gypsies. Yeah. Mm. So as a gorgie, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> as, as speaking as a gorgie, on behalf of all gorgies, um, no, what, what, do you, what do you think, because um, I have some idea, like, what really scares like, gorgie society um, about um, travellers? Because like, one of my like, feelings is that, and, I'm, and you might feel the same, is that we're, we're, like, so much of our like, consciousness is built on owning land and like owning things and staying in one place and having this territorial aspect to our identity that the idea that people travel around is almost like offensive to our like subconscious We're like wow you can't do that that's not the rules um and, and there's there's lots of caricatures as well of like um like Ro- romany women de- being seductive and being sexually free and 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 all like the superstitious side of it and paganism and all these things that we tend to like reject but but what what would you when in your encounters with gorgy people what would you say like scares us the most about you well you know i i, I have gorgy 
blood myself and well mm. blood I don't we can edit that out for start I have gorgy <laughs> ancestry myself and that's one of the only reasons I feel comfortable using the word to be honest because mm. it can carry a pejorative air although many Romany people would say it's simply a neutral term yeah. for, for non-Romanese mm. I think the jury's out on that to be honest but um, mm. it's interesting isn't it The suggestion that the there's an antipathy between Romany life and non-Romany life tends to gravitate towards nomadism versus settled life. And actually, Britain is quite unique in that Romany culture retained its association with nomadism for so long. Because for most Romany people on the continent, uh, continental Europe being where the majority of the global population lives... Uh, nomadism hasn't been a reality for for many centuries and in somewhere like Turkey it's perhaps 700 years since the majority of, of Romani people were nomads so gypsy, Romani and nomad are kind of synonymous in the Anglophone world mm. where they're absolutely not in other countries and, and yet the stereotyping the the friction is just as real, in fact far worse in other countries where Romani people haven't been nomads for a very long time. So what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is I do not think that nomadism is always the main explanation for the tension. Mm. It's often straightforward racial prejudice. Mm. And in a country like Romania that has roots in centuries of slavery, a largely unknown history for for indeed many Romanians as well as people outside Romania. Um, but it can be about, as you say, a different attitude when it comes to land ownership, the freedom of the highways. That's definitely been a sticking point in Britain. Mm. And I would just add the caveat that you know, many Romani people are just as materialistic as anybody else. There isn't a sort of, mm-hmm. again, a hard and fast line there, but it, yeah. but there's been a historical division in attitude. In old gypsy folklore, the settled people were often portrayed as rabbits because rabbits burrow, live generation after generation in the same dwelling that they've mm. built and the Romani people would be portrayed as hares because the hare doesn't burrow beneath the ground. It lives in a in a form, a seat, above the ground mm. and is, as a result, more, agile, more mobile, yeah. perhaps more, more agile and more mm. uh, able to cope with the, the harshness of the elements. So that was how they, they saw it, kind of mythologically yeah. almost. But nowadays that would be a... Uh, that's unconscionable to me to have such a simplistic attitude to it. But I, But there's also something interesting about that view mm. on your travels and um you you by no means <laughs> need to like come up with a solution for this because i don't know either um do you see uh like something because i've heard a few people talk about um how when there have been gypsy books in the past or, or books about talking about the traveler community they've sometimes been shelved in the bookshop under countryside <laughs> or um nature and it's that thing of like almost like they're just part of the nature around mm. us um is, is there a way of like do you see a way forward for for people like obviously learning more about about the traveler community but also the traveler community coming closer to society as well and and do you think that would be a good thing or, or like basically how do we move forward how do we what do we make of this and do you see a like positive change the association of gypsies with nature is understandable because for the majority of 
gypsy people, the the rural economy was was the heart of their it was their livelihood. Mm. So there is a close association with farming culture, particularly with industries like hop picking, potato picking up, field maintenance, you know, hedging, hedge laying and ditch clearing, things like that, woodworking, basketry, so r- rustic mm. crafts as well as as well as farm work. So that's historically based and inarguable. At the same time, there have always been urban populations of gypsies and travellers, particularly over winter. There are some fabulous Victorian etchings of Romany encampments in places like Notting Hill. Samuel Pepys wrote about the gypsy population of Gypsy Hill, after whom the whole area is named, Mm. obviously. And to say that this is an essentially rural issue is is historically inaccurate and mm. and has led to the idea that urban gypsies are not proper gypsies yeah. they're they're fake gypsies which is a pernicious lie which i refute utterly <laughs> uh, it, it's just a lie and the perception that gypsies belonged in the middle of nowhere which as a as a person who grew up partly in the countryside I resent as a <laughs> as someone from the countryside you know uh, is is wrong and led to heightened tensions beginning in the 1960s when many gypsies and travelers began to do different non-agricultural work that depended on you know for instance scrap dealing tarmac laying and, and, and road work uh, you needed to be near centers of population and the idea that real gypsies belonged in the countryside was used to harass those people actively. So it has consequences, that idea, that we're somehow part of nature and don't belong anywhere else. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've how, run out of steam on that. That's all right. How would you see things going forward? Do you think there's like... As a gorgy, what can I do to like, <laughs> as one person, maybe not, but like, you know, what can, what, what way do you see forward for things getting better in the tensions? When I started to write about Romani culture, to broadcast about it, I had such a, I thought, humble goal in mind, mm. such a small and simple dream, really which I've been led to believe at various points since is a pipe dream, which is that we would simply be seen as a, an ethnic group like any other, many of whom, yes, do have problems, like members of many other peoples, mm. and that we would be seen as individuals. And it's been fantastically difficult to, to shift things on that. Um, it seems to me... I don't know, it's, it's, it's not a very spectacular goal, is it, to, to hope that one day people will go, oh, don't say that about gypsies because there are millions of them and they're actually all different. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but the it's idea that we're all incredibly similar and have these tendencies is deeply entrenched. And although it may be up for debate on the radio that there are some justifications for that stereotype, so they were quoting statistics about the numbers of gypsies and travellers who are in prison Mm. Um, it's intellectually irresponsible to ignore the other aspects of the history 
like genocide, simply challenging the idea that all gypsies are the same would be a fantastic place to start. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. Uh, the Stopping Places is out in physical book, in ebook, and it's now out in audiobook. So if you want to hear Damien read his story himself, you can do that at Audible or wherever you listen to audiobooks. Do leave us a review if you enjoy the Vintage Books podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Vintage Books. We're always excited to hear about the books you're reading and the ones you think we should read. Uh, so don't forget to drop us a tweet there. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. Thank you.